Okay, so I, 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 true confession here this morning. Uh, I, I had prepared a message on this text uh, that was all about this guy who was kind and who was nice and who was faithful and didn't understand what it was entirely to be a, a Christian. He knew that he wanted to be. And then on Thursday morning, I said something. Pastor Rich said, you need to preach that. So I'm going to blend them both together this morning. So this will be interesting. Because Pastor Rich was right. And what I was doing was, was uh, taking this text that we've got in and quite honestly was saying, let's take a day, a little bit of a, a day that's easier and not push quite so hard. I have a tendency to push pretty hard and challenge pretty heavily when I, when I speak. And it, it wasn't a real heavy message. But then Pastor Rich encouraged me to share what was on my heart, which is always a little bit more of a challenge to do as a preacher. Um, we're going to start with Acts 10. If you've got your Bible, start with Acts 10, starting in the first verse. And we're going to learn a little bit about a man named uh, Cornelius. And we're going to talk a lot about you and I. We're going to talk a lot about us, about this place. Acts 10, verse 1. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion of what was known as the Roman or Italian cohort. He was a Gentile. This guy, Cornelius, was as far from a Christian convert that you could ever possibly imagine someone could be. If you could picture in your mind the last person that would ever be willing to call themselves a Christian, this guy was probably just a little bit further away than they were in a lot of ways. Yet here he is in the first verse of the 10th chapter of the book of Acts. Verse 2 says, He was a devout man who feared God with all his household. He gave alms generously to the people and he prayed continuously to God. He was faithful, he feared and respected God, and he'd let his household to do the same. He had an attitude of generosity, and he was a man of prayer. Wow! And yet what we're going to find out is he really had no idea because he didn't have any help in getting to this place. He was just doing it because it's what he saw other people doing. About the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God come and say to him, Cornelius, and he stared at him in terror and said, What is it? What is it, Lord? And he said to him, your prayers and your alms have ascended as a memorial before God. Now send men to Joppa and bring one Simon, who is called Peter. Jeff next week is going to pick up a little bit of this, and he's going to talk about Joppa and why that is so significant in this passage. It is one of those cool instances where God uses an event in the Old Testament that many of you already know, and He connects it to an event in the New Testament. They end up being like bookends, one being almost completely opposite of the other. You don't want to miss it. It's going to be awesome. It's the way God works. It's why Scripture couldn't have just been written by a bunch of guys that sat down to write a good book. It is God at work throughout the pages of Scripture. So we got this guy. He's kind. He's generous. And what my, my original message really was, was, you know, there's just a shortage of kindness and generosity in our world. Even as Christians, we don't have the market on kindness. We're not the nicest people out there all the time. We're certainly not the most generous people all the time. And here's this guy who's as far away as all can be, who's kind, who's generous, who helps to take care of people who has less than he has. It's an important thing for us to realize as Christians that we don't just get to say, well, I'm a Christian, so you've got to figure it out for yourself as a Christian. We have some responsibilities. And what we realized about this guy Cornelius was... He was a game changer. He was a game changer in a very big way. He and this other guy that we met not long ago, that uh, eunuch from Ethiopia that was uh, in Jerusalem on behalf of Queen Candace that Philip went and visited with, those two guys are the first completely non-Jewish folks in the New Testament 
who end up coming to a faith in God. They're game changers not just because they helped to spread the gospel, but they're game changers because they were faithful before they really even understood it. And by everyone's understanding and expectation, Cornelius had no business being a part of the Christian church. He was an outsider. He wasn't Jewish. He was a soldier for the other side. He didn't know what it meant to be a Christian. He didn't have the right language. He didn't have the right customs. He didn't know how to do church. And here he was playing the central role in the early church. And I bet that you have felt like an outsider like Cornelius more than once in your life. Maybe you feel like an outsider in your family. Maybe you feel like an outsider in the church. I hope you don't feel like an outsider in this church. But you know, God doesn't want us to feel entirely like outsiders, but God also doesn't want us to just simply become a part of the world around us. And what Cornelius does, the reason that he's a game changer, is because he allowed God to use him, even in a small way, to begin to do something that was was completely different. See, Cornelius wasn't defined by and he wasn't limited by the culture he was a part of. Cornelius didn't simply settle for what people expected him to be. He saw that it was a different way to live. He saw there was a different way to be. He saw that there was something else, there was something more out there, and he wanted to be that new man. He wanted to be different than he was, and so he must have been watching those people who had whatever it was that he was looking for. He must have kept a close eye on them and started to do the things that they were doing, the things that he saw the early Christians doing. Like you and I, he worked hard for his money. And yet the Bible says that he was generous in his giving. He was a man of prayer and he was a man that brought his whole household into a knowledge and a fear of God. So because he was willing, and that that seems to be really all that he was, He was one of the very first to welcome and to shape a new culture for non-Jewish believers all over the world. I wonder what had happened if Cornelius hadn't been willing. I wonder where we would be today. And yet because he was, and he did just the little things, he began this cultural shift, this tidal wave of change that continues on today that you and I are a part of. And we have a responsibility to continue off into the rest of the world. All because one non-Jewish man wanted to know God better. And I wonder, where do you settle in on your relationship with Jesus? Do you know who He is and that's enough, or do you want to know Him more? This text is important because what we see happening in these verses is the very same thing that we are witnessing in our congregation today. It's not a coincidence. It's not an accident. Years ago, about eight and a half, actually it started about 20 years ago, uh, I was at seminary, I met this young farm kid from northern Minnesota named Jeff. Jeff? Jeff. And we found out that we had some of the same ideas about what church might be. We start talking countercultural ideas that church could be so much different, so much more. It could actually be like what it was in the Old Testament. Or excuse me, like what it was in the New Testament, in the book of Acts. This place today isn't an accident because God's been working on it for a very long time. This, this place that God has created, it's a vision God really gave me eight and a half years ago. I was doing something different. I was in another place. But God showed me what the church could be. And it was the same thing that I had talked about at that point 12 years before. And God's dream for us, for this church, is becoming a reality in our daily life. 
And I absolutely believe God is not done with this place yet, not, not by a long shot. Because I believe God is doing something great among us. Not because we are great, but because God is great. And I believe we get to be a part of this great thing that God is doing. And so I want you to imagine with me for a moment a different world. Not the world that you're used to. Not the world that you know. The world that you spend your days in. I'd like you to give yourself permission to think of a different way of living and of being a different way of waking up in the morning and having a different attitude, a different way of approaching your day, a different outlook and a different set of expectations. Allow yourself the opportunity to set aside the world that you've come to accept with all of its faults and problems and frustrations. I want you to dream with me about a world that's different. See, the series that we're in is called Getting Back to God's Normal. And the simple truth is the life that you're living, the life I'm living, the world that we're living in, it's not God's normal. The the thing that we've come to accept, the things we've come to accept in this life, the things that break our hearts, the things that frustrate us, the things that make us mad, the things that keep us awake at night wishing we could change, whether it's family or friendships or office or ourselves, those things that we've come to accept are not God's normal. Normal is what we read about in the book of Acts where God is doing miraculous things in the lives of people. Normal in God's eyes is where the Holy Spirit is on the move and human lives are being changed and transformed and restored and homes and communities and nations are being changed. Normal is where the Holy Spirit is part of every single moment of every single day of your life. In God's normal, it's where desperation and sadness and hopelessness don't rule your thinking. Why? Because you have hope. You have hope and an understanding of what God's doing in your life and in the lives of your friends and your family and the people around you, and hope rules your thinking, not desperation or frustration. Now, I know off the bat, I've known for eight and a half years that this whole idea, this whole message about getting back to God's normal, that's not going to sit well with everybody. I understand that. Not everyone's going to receive it the same way. There are church-going people who will disagree with me. So let me remind you, none of this is my idea. This is all God's call on His people and on the open door. And quite frankly, I believe that it's God's call on every Christian church in the world. But here's the problem. The enemy of God, Satan, the devil, he's tricked you and he's tricked me. He's tricked you into understanding life as being normal in a way that's completely opposite of what God created you for. The devil has tricked us into believing that life is supposed to be what we see. But you know what? The devil's idea of of normal is nothing but death and destruction and darkness of the human soul. Satan's normal is the polar opposite of God's normal. God wants you to live. Satan wants your soul to die. Satan works hard to get you and I to accept a level of hopelessness that things will never be different so that we just give up. See, but God's normal, which is clearly laid out in the Bible, that's why we stick to the book, it's true life. It's true love. It's eternal salvation in the name of Jesus, not in the good things that you do. And I wholeheartedly believe that, for me, God brought me back to New London with my family and carried me through a a set of circumstances that I would never want to have to live through again at the hands of people that call themselves Christians in order to be able to be part of planning a church that got back to God's normal. Like you, I understand what it is to hurt. I understand what it's like to have people that you think you can trust turn their backs on you and stab you. 
understand what it's like to lay awake at night and wonder what in the world you're going to do with your life the next morning. I understand what it's like to have people say things about you that aren't true. And yet God decided, like Cornelius, He was going to use somebody who, it seemed, maybe didn't have much use left in them. God took the shattered pieces, quite frankly, of a discouraged but willing pastor and introduced him to a Cornelius type of guy named Harlow Johnson. Some of you have heard me talk about him. He shared his heart and his hurt for God's church with me. And his heart began to resonate with my heart and God began to breathe life into something that became known as the Open Door Christian Church. His question to me was very simple. Don't you think God wants us to do better than this? See, what you don't know, about nine years, maybe eight and a half years ago, about the time he showed up, I'd given up on ministry. I was done. My family told me they weren't going back to church anymore, and I didn't blame them. I was trying to find a regular job and be a regular guy and just punch a time clock and not deal with any of the garbage that had become normal at the hands of the people around me and the ministry that I had gotten so used to, the ugliness that that had become so normal in the churches I knew it, and I knew I would never change it. But see, God, He had another plan. God wasn't quite done with me or my family he takes this most unlikely of pastors, the most unpastor-like pastor, to create a church that was started by people who have been beat up and dragged down and run out. And it quickly became clear that even before we ever held a church service, that this place wasn't going to be like any church I'd ever been a part of. This place was going to love and welcome people like Jesus did, like I knew Christians were supposed to. This place wasn't going to be shy and confronting human sin, but we weren't going to dwell on it. We, we weren't going to worry about who you were yesterday or who you were when you walked in this morning. We were going to focus on who it is that God is to you and who it is that you were created to be and can be tomorrow. We were going to preach the message of who Jesus is and how much He loves you and how He gave His life so that you could have another different life. See, we knew broken people are made whole in Jesus. They don't have to spend their whole lives broken forever. We would preach the life that you were created to live, created by God to live. And I knew to do that, there had to be a culture change. There had to be something really, really different that happened. I knew it had to begin with me, and I knew that a a church like that was going to cause waves, just like the tidal wave that Cornelius set off. But Cornelius set it off because God called him to. And so God went to work, and the vision that He gave me for this place was that the Open Door Christian Church wasn't going to be a place that just did things differently for the sake of doing things different. Now, this was going to be a community. It was going to be a family of people who were going to have a different culture. The DNA of the Open Door, and we talked about this before the beginning, the DNA of the Open Door wasn't going to reflect the DNA of the world or other churches. The DNA was going to reflect the DNA of our Creator and Redeemer. We'd be in the church in the image of our Savior. We would seek to be the bride of Christ. I get asked a lot what my plan is for our church. (laughs) I think it's funny. People assume I've got some great big master plan. My plan is to follow whatever God has for us. The world's normal is that a powerful leader has a compelling business plan and people buy into it and you go from there. This place is all about God's plan for us, not my plans. God gave me a vision for the place and it's been crystal clear in my head for eight and a half years. Every day I live with it and every day it makes me smile and it gives me hope. 
So I got a very good understanding of the things that we need to do to take the steps in order to accomplish the purpose that God called us to. Well, what's the plan? The plan is to be faithful. The plan is to keep Jesus Christ and Him crucified at the forefront of everything we say and do. To be a good steward, not to be limited by what we can see or afford or create, but rather say yes, Lord, to the things that God calls us to, especially when they're over our heads and out of our reach. The only limits will be whatever it is that God chooses to limit us to. So what does it mean? Where are we going? I think God's called us as a church to be a lot like Cornelius. Nowhere in the Bible does it say that as Christians and as churches, we're supposed to follow behind the culture of the world and pick up the pieces of broken people and put band-aids on them and send them on on their way. Nowhere does the Bible tell us that what we're supposed to do is follow behind and apologize for the culture around us. The gospel of Jesus, the death and the resurrection of Jesus, the forgiveness and healing and transformation and uh, restoration that leads to salvation that we read about in the New Testament and that we experience with a relationship with Jesus demands something of us, and it demands that we lead culture. It demands that we create culture. It demands that we understand what God's normal is and that we insist on nothing less than that. So around here, we start with the very youngest people that come to this place and working all the way through to the very oldest. We're going to develop and flourish in a new culture. A culture of godly love, of biblical truth, of prayer and worship. And God's going to create a new normal in us, God's normal. We're going to continue to be a church that refuses to accept the world's version of normal because the world is full of pain and gossip and pride and it lacks greatly in simple things like kindness and respect. We'll be a church that seeks God's version of normal. That's countercultural. That's a dangerous idea in our world, but nowhere in the Bible does God ask us to accept the things of this world as normal. What are the things that we accept? Think about this for a minute. God does not want us to accept addiction and death from addiction as normal. That's what Satan uses to separate people from the love of God. Satan works in the lives of God's children and tries to separate us from our Redeemer, and he uses all kinds of things. He tells us that alcoholism is a reasonable way to self-medicate away the hurts that we really have. God doesn't tell us as a church to turn an embarrassed eye away from the pervasive problems in our world of pornography or adultery or divorce or all of the addictions that we have created any more than He says that it's okay to be greedy or selfish or prideful or to gossip or slander. Those things aren't normal. You want to really start talking stuff that's going to divide us? Murder of helpless unborns isn't normal. Changing your gender identity because you feel like it isn't normal. Changing laws because it makes us feel like that changes something from sin to not sin does not make something right in the eyes of God. Every single one of those things, along with all of our own pet sins, is nothing more and nothing less than the tool of a devil to get you to believe whatever life you choose and however you choose to live it is okay because it's your life. It's not normal. This church, your pastors, we don't accept the lives of the world as normal. Do we, Pastor Rich? We realize that that's a confrontational set of statements to make. But you know what? We're going to continue to be a church that creates a new normal, a godly normal, 
We're here to lead and shape and redefine what normal is in our schools, in our workplaces, in our communities. Normal is time to enjoy with your church family, to love and care for them, and to invite everybody that you know to join you to be a part of your wonderful church family. We live in a broken and a sinful world, but Jesus died that those sins would be forgiven and that we would be given a new life. That new life is not going back to our sin and calling it normal. That new life means that we embrace and live in God's normal. There's uh, letters to seven churches that are written in the book of Revelation. I'm going to read a part of one of them. It's to the church in Philadelphia, and nobody's ever... I think two people I've told this to. This is part of where we get our name. Revelation 3, starting in verse 8. God says, I know your works. Remember with Cornelius, God knew what he was doing. Behold, I have set before you an open door which no one is able to shut. I know that you have but little power, and yet you've kept my word and not denied my name. Believe it or not, people wonder why it is that we just talk about the Bible. Because God honors people in churches that keep His word and don't deny who He is. Verse 9, Behold, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan who say that they are Jews and are not, are not but lie. Behold, I will make them come and bow down before your feet and they will learn that I have loved you because you have kept my word about patient endurance. I will keep you from the hour of trial that is coming on the whole world to try those who dwell on the earth, people who accept Satan's version of normal as normal. Verse 11, I'm coming soon. Hold fast what you have so that no one may seize your crown. The one who conquers, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God. Never shall he go out of it. And I will write on him the name of my God. A few years ago, a guy named Norm Calvin, he's still around here, made the statement in a prayer. He said, God, thank you for placing your name on this church. And I will write on him the name of my God. If you're tired, you're probably tired from trying to fit into the world's version of normal. If you feel like you don't fit into the world around you, you weren't made to. You weren't created to fit into this world. You were created for another world. And the problem is, is that the enemy is so strong, his voice is so loud, that we think that there's something wrong with us when we see that it isn't normal. So are you ready for a change? Are you ready for a godly change? Are you ready to be the change? And help lead this area into a new culture, a culture that is God's normal for us, because that's why we're here. We're not the only church that God's going to use to do it, but we're one of them. I believe that God is putting this on a heart of a lot of people, folks that sit in chairs and pews in churches as well as pastors. So may God place His name on each of us and bless this church. May God empower us to be agents of godly change to the people and the culture of our communities. Don't accept the world's normal as normal. Be a beacon of light and hope in Jesus to a world that is literally drowning in darkness and in the lives of the enemy. Like Cornelius, may we be kind and good ambassadors and true examples of the love of God. And here, let us be about changing the culture of our communities of our families, of our schools, and of our workplaces.
It's time that we stop following behind and simply contented ourselves with picking up pieces. It's time that Christians started to lead and shape and define the culture that is around us. The DNA that we carry as Christians is the very DNA of our Savior and Redeemer Jesus. It is that image of God that He placed in each one of us. That's normal. That should be the culture that we lead. Let's pray. God, thank You that You have called into existence this place. Thank You that You have brought people to this place who have hearts like Cornelius. That even though they may not completely understand, none of us fully understand what it is that You're doing. We want to be a part of it. We want to be a part of what You are doing in this world and doing through us. God, use us. The way that You use Cornelius, God, use us in whatever way that You will to get out the good news of Your Son, Jesus. God, let us not be fooled by the enemy's version of normal and accept it as okay. It's not. God, let us seek to create a culture to be people who accept nothing less than what is normal in Your kingdom. And help us to bring that about in our lives, our families, this church, and our communities. In Jesus' name, amen.